hole, the light from the urns could be plainly seen gleaming on the broad ledge by the lake. Suddenly the sound of many footsteps came from behind. I turned quickly, but the passage was too dark. I could see nothing. The sound came closer and closer. There seemed to be many of them, advancing swiftly. I straightened and raised my spear. Harry grasped my arm. "'Not yet!' he cried. "'One more try. We can make it!' He thrust his spear into my hand, and in another instant had thrown Desiree's unconscious body over his shoulder and was staggering forward toward the cavern. I followed, while the sound of the footsteps behind grew louder and louder. We neared the end of the passage. We reached it. We were on the ledge. Even with Desiree for a burden, Harry moved so swiftly that I found it difficult to keep up with him. The strength of a god was in him, which was but just, since he had his goddess in his arms. On the ledge, near the edge of the water, stood two Incas. They turned at our approach and rushed at us. Unlucky for them, for Harry's example had fired my brain and put the strength of a giant in me. To this day I don't know what followed, whether I used my spear or my fists or my head. I only know that I leaped at them in irresistible fury and left them stretched on the ground before they had reached Harry or halted him. We crossed the ledge and made for the boulders to the left. The crevice which led to our hiding place was too narrow for Harry and his burden. I sprang forward and grasped Desiree's shoulders. He held her ankles, and we got her through to the ledge beyond. Then I leaped back through the crevice and barely in time. As I looked out, a black rushing horde emerged from the passage and dashed across the ledge toward us. I stood at the entrance to the narrow crevice, spear in hand. They appeared to have no sense of the fact that my position was impregnable, but dashed blindly at me. The crevice in which I stood, and which was the only way through to the ledge where Harry had taken Desiree, was not more than two feet wide. With unarmed savages for foes, one man could have held it against a million. But they came, and I met them. I stood within the crevice, some three or four feet from its end, and when one appeared in the opening, I let him have the spear. Another rushed in and fell on top of the first. As I say, they appeared to be deprived of the power to reason. In five minutes the mouth of the crevice was completely choked with bodies, some, who were merely wounded, struggling and squirming to extricate themselves from the bloody tangle. I heard Harry's voice at my back. "'How about it? Want some help?' "'Not unless they find some gunpowder,' I answered. "'The idiots eat death as though it were candy. We're safe. They can never break through here.' "'Are they still coming?' "'They can't. They've blocked the way with their smelly black carcasses. How is Desiree? Better. She's awake. I've been bathing her ankle with cold water. She has a bad sprain. 
How the deuce she ever managed to hobble on it even two steps is beyond me. A sprain? Are you sure? I think so. It's badly swollen. Maybe only a twist. A few hours will tell. I heard him return to the ledge back of me. I dared not turn my head. Thinking I heard a sound above, I looked up, but there was nothing to fear in that direction. The boulders which formed the sides of the crevice extended straight up to the roof of the cavern. We appeared, in fact, to be fortified against any attack. With one exception, hunger. But there would be plenty of time to think of that. For the present, we had our fish, which was sufficient for the three of us for a month, if we could keep it fresh that long, and the water was at our very feet. The bodies wedged in the mouth of the crevice began to disappear, allowing the light from the urns to filter through. They were removing their dead. I could see the black form swaying and pulling not five feet away. But I stood motionless, saving my spear and my strength for any who might try to force an entrance. Soon the crevice was clear, and from where I stood I commanded a view of something like three-quarters of the ledge. It was one mass of black forms, packed tightly together, gazing at our retreat. They looked particularly silly and helpless to me then, rendered powerless as they were by a little bit of rock. Brute force was all they had, and nature, being the biggest brute of all, laughed at them. But I soon found that they were not devoid of resource. For perhaps fifteen minutes the scene remained unchanged. Not one ventured to approach the crevice. Then there was a sudden movement and shifting in the mass. It split suddenly in the middle. They pressed off to either side, leaving an open lane between them leading directly toward me. Down this lane suddenly dashed a dozen or more of the savages, with spears aloft in their brawny arms. I was taken by surprise, and barely had time to cut and run for the ledge within. As it was, I did not entirely escape. The spears came whistling through the crevice, and one of them lodged in my leg just below the thigh. I jerked it out with an oath and turned to meet the attack. I was now clear of the crevice, standing on the ledge inside, near Harry and Desiree. I called to them to go to one side, out of the range of the spears that might come through. Harry took Desiree in his arms and carried her to safety. As I expected, the Incas came rushing through the crevice, that narrow lane where a man could barely push through without squeezing. The first got my spear full in the face, a blow rather than a thrust, for I had once or twice had difficulty in retrieving it when I had buried it deep. As he fell, I struck at the one behind. He grasped the spear with his hand, but I jerked it free and brought it down on his head, crushing him to the ground. It was mere butchery. They hadn't a chance in the world to get at me. Another fell, and the rest retreated. The crevice was again clear, save for the bodies of the three who had fallen. 
I turned to where Harry and Desiree were seated on the further edge of the ledge. Her body rested against his. Her head lay on his shoulder. As I looked at them, smiling, her eyes suddenly opened wide, and she sprang to her feet and started toward me. "'Paul, you are hurt. Harry, a bandage. Quick. Your shirt. Anything.' I looked down at the gash on my leg, which was bleeding somewhat freely. "'It's nothing,' I declared. "'A mere tear in the skin. But your ankle! I thought it was sprained!' She had reached my side and bent over to examine my wound, but I raised her in my arms and held her before me. "'That,' I said, "'is nothing. Believe me, it isn't even painful.' I shall bandage it myself. Harry will take my place here. But your foot! That, too, is nothing, she answered with a half-smile. I merely twisted it. It is nearly well already. See? She placed her weight on the injured foot, but could not suppress a faint grimace of pain. Calling to Harry to watch the crevice, I took Desiree in my arms and carried her back to her seat. "'Now sit still,' I commanded. "'Soon we'll have dinner. In the meantime, allow me to say that you are the bravest woman in the world, and the best sport. And some day we'll drink to that, from a bottle.' But facts have no respect for sentiment and fine speeches. The last words were taken from my very mouth by a ringing cry from Harry. "'Paul! By gad, they're coming at us from the water!' End of chapter 15 Recording by Roger Moline